Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Today, I'm going to bring you a message out of John chapter 6 and, uh, and many other scriptures in the Bible. But let me tell you the name of the message because it's kind of a strange name uh, that I felt uh, led to call it the Near God Church. The Near God Church. Those are kind of strange words, so what in the world do you mean by the near God church? Well, I'm going to show you today from the scriptures what God told us would happen to the church uh, as the days progressed and how, when, how in, when Jesus was here, people got near to God, but then they walked away. The churches today can be places where people get near to God but there's something totally different to be in Christ. Because when God comes to live in you, and you are in Him and He is in you, it's no more near God. God in you becomes the strength of your life. And you fall far short. For instance, in the Bible, there were those who came very near to God, but they walked away unchanged. The devil doesn't mind you getting near to God. What he doesn't want you to do is, is to get in Christ and to let God come into you through the Holy Spirit because when that happens, the devil's going to have problems dealing with you because you're going to be saying, yes, Lord, no devil, and he's not used to that. For instance, there was a very rich young ruler in the Bible. He had everything going for him. One day he came to the Lord and he wanted to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. One-on-one, -on -one. Jesus said to him what he was to do. And uh, he said, one thing you like. There's one thing that you like. He told him what that was. He would not change. And he walked away. And when he walked away, Jesus just stood there. Uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, whose life was drastically changed because he did not get near God. He met God and God came into his life and he experienced a new birth. Now, when that happened, uh, and he was before Agrippa, you remember Paul and Agrippa, and he says, Almost, Paul, thou persuadest me to be a Christian. At a more convenient time, you know, I will come. But that convenient time never came. He got near to God, but he never got to God. There is, throughout the Scripture, those stories. The thief on the cross, two of them. Near God, both of them. But they didn't leave both near God. One went to be with God because he made that last step from being near to God to commit his life to God. And God came to live in him and he and Christ built a relationship that was here on earth for just a few minutes and then throughout all of eternity. So when we talk about the near God church, here's what I want to show you. I'm fixing to read you a scripture that's uh, in the 6th chapter of John. We're going to start in verse 60. But before verse 60, Jesus now is speaking to the many, many people that came to follow him. While he's speaking to the many, many people that followed him, he brings a very strong message to them. They all liked Jesus. They were attracted to Jesus. He wasn't like other religious leaders. And so they began to gather but see, Jesus came to this earth with an assignment from the Father. His assignment was that he was to go to a cross and die for the sins of the world. And that the only way people could ever be saved that were in the world 
was not to get religion, but to be born again through the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. And Jesus taught them what they must do to follow him. They all wanted to be a part of the good things that happen when God's in the midst, but there was something close. They were willing to get near, but then they were confronted with, if any man's going to be my disciple, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And he must be willing to live and die living a life that is committed totally and completely to me. Now, when he laid that out, I want to pick it up as to how they responded. And what you will see is most of them were willing to be a part of the near God disciple group, but they were not, be willing, to they were not willing to forsake all and to follow Christ. So listen for that, and out of respect to the word, I want you to stand as I read it. From the 6th chapter of John, I'll read from verse 60. <clears throat> Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, and I just told you what they had heard, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in, him, in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now listen to this verse, verse 64. But there's some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and they walked no more with Jesus. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? And he spake of Judas Iscariot. Now here's the point. When he laid it out there, Twelve people were left. The whole congregation left. One of the twelve was Judas. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. Everybody else had forsaken him. Now I want you to hold to that and listen to this one brief scripture in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Thank you for your respect to the word. Would you be seated? Second Corinthians 5:17 says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. It is, again, easy to get near God. For God is in this place right now. The Holy Spirit lives in the life of every true believer. If you're sitting by somebody today that is a true believer, you are near to God. But there is a big difference in being near to God and being in Christ. I cannot say that too many times. I want to ask you a question. How can a person or church get near to God and still missing? How in the world could that happen? Let me ask you another question. Do you think you, you, would recognize a true, born-again, spirit-filled Christian if you ever saw one, and would you know a blood-bought, spirit-filled church if you ever attended one? Would you know it? Would you recognize the difference? Would you be saying, yes, you say, yes, uh, Pastor, I think I could, I could do that. Well, I hope you have the right criteria, criteria because there is a big difference. Big difference in a spirit-filled where it's the body of Christ, where it is a bride of Christ, and he and the Father are one, than being near to where good things are happen, happening, where the gospel is sung, the gospel is preached, the people go on mission trips, they're able to give, and their money is used to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is a fellowship where one hurt, they all hurt, and when one rejoices, they all rejoice. There is a big difference in that and going to a place where you can be entertained or where you can just meet new friends and maybe find you a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend or just enjoy what you listen to or what you see, there is a huge difference. And do you know how to recognize the difference? How is it that Jesus could come and spend all this time and these people hear him speak, they see what he does, and when he calls them to the line, and he says, all right, I'm fixing to ascend and go back to heaven. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. Now I want to know who's for me and who's against me. Do you understand the high cost of following me? Or are you just looking for something else to be a part of that you will grade it based on what other competes with that? Or do you really want to have the life that I created you to have. Now remember this. God has said he'll never withhold any good thing from the people that loves him. He said, I'll never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He says, I will supply your every need. He said, if, if, if you'll trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understandings and acknowledge me, I'll direct your steps. I mean, the scriptures go on and on and on. You see, Jesus said, that he built the church. In Matthew chapter 16, 18, he said, I say unto you, thou, you're Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A few years ago, Coca-Cola came up with a new saying, not new anymore. Coke is the real thing. Now, when they came out with that, it was quite contagious. Coca-Cola is the real thing. Well, I'm not a beer drinker. But about that same time, there was another company that came up with an interesting product. It was called Near Beer. Got that? Near Beer. I'm not putting you on. 
near beer. It looked like beer, it smelled like beer, it tasted like beer, it just didn't have the same effect that beer had when you drank it. It got real close to the real thing, but it wasn't a real thing. Now, the church can be a near-God church. A near-God church can look like it's got a high steeple, you know. It's got seats, it's got a stage, it's got little rooms, big rooms, big boxes, little boxes. I mean, it's all there. And people there, so it's got to be a church because it's got a sign right out in the front that says church. But do you know the real thing when you see it? Think about it for a moment. Now, if you want to do research or study some research information about Christian churches in America today, are they God churches or are they near God churches? Are they the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, or are they something else? Now, if you want to do some research with all you know about technology, you can spend a long time doing research. I'll save you a little time, though, because I'm going to tell you what you're going to find when you do your research. And I want to tell you where the answer comes from. It comes from the Bible. The Bible tells us what near God churches are going to be like in the years to come. What they were in his days that the Pharisees were a part of. Uh, now, and he said, I'm going to show you what the real thing is. Let me tell you what they are. In 2 Timothy, chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7, here's the near God kind of a situation. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men will be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I want you to look, if you would, a little bit further over in the third and fourth verse of the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy. Here is the near God kind of a church. In the second verse, he said, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Repue, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now, here we go. For the time will come, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But you watch in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of your ministry. Now that's a near God church. It says the time will come when churches will take on the form of their culture. And that form will be where holiness and repentance is not hardly ever mentioned. That is cast aside, and for the sake of trying to draw a crowd, you've got to keep people coming only by making them feel good or feel happy. Deception can be epidemic. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It is very easy for you to be deceived. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. He had some great one-liners, and here's one of them. He said, everyone has a religious spasm or two in their life. Now, what in the world is he talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Your boyfriend leaves, your girlfriend leaves, your relationship breaks up. What do you get? You get a spasm. I got to go down to the church and find that communion room, find that prayer room, and sit through three services. And if I can do that, maybe God will put this thing all back together. You lose your job. You lose your health. You have a spasm. You just feel like that I'm, I'm, I just need a little religion. Well, that's what he's talking about. A lot of churches are what I call cotton candy churches. I don't know if y'all have ever, ever eaten that stuff. I hadn't eaten it in years. But I used to go to the circus in Houston, and uh, they serve at cotton candy. Great big stuff. You know, huge. Looked like you're getting the most for your buck. But you know what? When you started to eat it, and it melted down, there wasn't much to it. You know, you ended up with a stick, and you could eat a hundred of those things, I guess, because there wasn't anything to it. Now, there's a lot of cotton candy churches. They look good on the outside, but when you get to them and they melt them down, there's not much there. It's just kind of a little gathering where a few folks have found a common place to go and spend an hour every week. But the church is continually tempted to concentrate on creative methodology and take the Bible and put it at the doorstep. Because when you get out the Word of God, like Jesus always did, it started defending everybody, including the people who came to church every Sunday and gave the tithes and offerings. And here we have a situation where he just preached it like it was, and they all left. Like Gideon in the Old Testament. Remember when he said uh, about uh, all of you that just want to, if you're not willing to go into this battle against these folks, y'all just leave. Because we're fixing getting a big-time war. And all of a sudden, they all left except 300 of them. Thousands of them left. Oh, if we, knew, we didn't know it was going to cost us our life. You know, I didn't know it was going to be changing my lifestyle. I didn't know I was going to have to do my own thing. I mean, I mean, God's thing and give up my own thing. But you do. So they left. It's hard today to find churches where, where you can find much wheat among all the tares. And he said, What's, what does that mean? Matthew 13, if you'll go look, there's a great story about a farmer. Jesus is telling a story, and he says, and here's what the world's going to be like, that, that, that there will be seed sown, and the wheat is, is to grow up and to prosper and flourish. But in the midst of the wheat, tares will slip in. And as the tares are thrown into the wheat, you cannot tell the difference. The only way you can tell the difference between a tare and a wheat is you have to open it up. They both look the same on the outside. If you went to buy seed, and this was a sack of tares, and this was a sack of wheat, you could not tell the difference. You have to open it up. It says it'll be planted. And then, Matthew 13 records in the 30th verse, that let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I'll say to the reaper, gather together, find the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. It's not my job to pick out the tares. not your job to pick out the tares. Judge not, lest you be judged. But here's the point. You dare not believe there's not a lot of tares among the wheat. Matter of fact, there is more tares than there is wheat. That's what your research will show you if you'll look and, and go about and do it. But in our passion, 
to win friends and influence people. We want everybody to have a happy life. We want everybody just enjoy yourself, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you may be dead. And in the midst of that, we don't show them what Jesus showed them that made them walk away. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, The time of their ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Listen to Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man can see the Lord. Now here's what the scripture says. If you don't repent, you'll never see God. If there is no holiness in your life, God is not in your life. That's what it means. Just bottom line. Now that's exactly what Jesus said. That's exactly the way he said it. And when he said it, most of the people left him. What do you think is happening today? How upset do you think people get today when they hear about repentance and holiness? I can just assure you that when I preach on repentance and holiness is when I would get more angry people than anything I can preach on except giving. And why is that? Because in this worldview kind of thing, we just believe that everybody is going up the same mountain, just taking different roads. Find the trail you like and take it. And Jesus says, no, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. And except you repent, you're going to perish. And if you are born again, you are wheat, there's holiness in your life. You say, well, you mean that I can't get saved and live any kind of life I want to? If you get saved, you can live any kind of life you want to. You know why? Because you'll want to live a holy life. But, but if you just go through some kind of religious motions, I mean, you can get baptized so many times that the frogs know your social security number if you had one. <laughs> that didn't save anybody. That's like putting on a wedding ring. You first say the vows, you make a commitment to your wife, like mine's right here on the front row, and this tells you I am married. That tells people that they are saved, but that doesn't save you, and this doesn't marry you. There is a commitment until God in his wisdom shall separate us by death. You remember those vows? Well, we take a vow to God. God, I am going to forsake all, and I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to let you Pick the person I marry. And I want to say to all of you girls, if you'll look at all of the guys that are in the ministry, look, all, look, at, look at Wade, look at Eric, look at Kyle, look at me, you go look at our wives. And every single one of us got a whole lot better than we deserved. <laughs> now, can I have an amen for that? Yeah. Amen. Well, where in the world did they find those beautiful girls? God brought them to us. And Wade, you've heard Wade's story. That's the only reason he never came to church. <laughs> Kim asked Wade if he is saved, uh, and, and, uh, and he said, uh, are you? Yeah, well, I am too. <laughs> yeah, you know, you go to church? Yeah, well, I am too. Now look at them sitting over there together. That's the way God works. Let me tell you something. He said, I won't withhold any good thing from you. And I'll say this to you. People walk with God. God has a way of removing the stuff that's about to ruin your life. He has a way of taking that out before you learn by experience that God's always right and the devil's always wrong. That God brings life and the devil brings death. 
And now, you've got to have God in you before you understand that. You can get near to God and still be totally lost. Totally lost. Well, as we look at Matthew 7, 13, Enter you in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there are that go in. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Few there are that find it. Those scriptures are just over and over and over in the Bible. But every one of them are true. Now, very quickly, I want, to, I want to share three things with you. Number one, the world hates the church like they hated Jesus. But they hated Jesus for different reasons than they hate the church today. The world hates the church today not because it's preaching holiness and repentance. The world hates the church today because they see us as a bunch of, of hypocrites that are playing a game that we don't think the world sees the game that we're playing. Listen to John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, these are the words of Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, and I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, that was in Jesus' day. People hated Christians because they came out of the world and they left the world and Jesus did not do what all the other religious groups were doing and they hated him and as he came and told them the gospel which was good news they accepted it as bad news and the world today looks around and you know what? What they see turns them off. And it's not the Jesus. They don't get turned off by seeing people's lives changed for the better. But they see the hypocrisy of the church. You know, the world watches Christian television. I'm fixing to say something very strong. But I'll say it with all the conviction that's in me. The world watches Christian television. And they see it as a bunch, a large part of it. As a bunch of ego-centered clowns fleecing an unsuspecting viewer of their money. That's what they see. And they see it for what it is. Give me and make me rich and you'll get blessed. Now the world can see that. That is not what Jesus did and that is not what Jesus taught it. And Christians are the ones that pour the money into that, not the world, because the world can see it for what it is. But Christians cannot see it for it, because doesn't everybody supposed to be healthy, and everybody's supposed to be wealthy, and everybody's supposed to be happy, and everybody's supposed to, to, you know, whatever? No. That's not what Jesus did. That is not what he did. You would think most people would see through that, but they do not see through it. They look at it and say, wow. Where can I send my money? I need that blessing. I'll sow that seed. And I tell people, just turn down the dial. Everybody's sowing seed. You get them real bargain if you go to enough channels. You know, you can get one for five bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 5,000 bucks. Just pick your seed. Or you can come to Jesus and he said, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You don't have to make somebody else rich in order for you to get blessed. But you follow me. And no good thing will I withhold from you. If the world chooses to hate us, 
Go ahead. But let me tell you something. If the world chooses to hate us, it ought to be for our godliness, not for our ungodliness. If you choose to leave your immoral relationship and follow Jesus Christ, and your mate hates you for doing that, you just be sure that God's got a blessing prepared for you like you won't have room enough to receive it. And if you are doing right on purpose, that's character, and God will bless you, and he will promise you, not that you'll get rich, but I'll meet your need. And if God wants you to be single, and that can be a blessing, Apostle Paul never got married because God had a special plan for him. And there's a whole lot worse things than not ever being married, and that's marrying the wrong person. And God will just simply say, if you need it, I'll provide it for you if you'll just use it to bring glory to me. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 1 Peter 4.4 Wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. See, back there, people left the world to follow Christ, and they hated him for it. Now that's what is the difference of being near God and being in God. You follow Christ whatever it costs. Then, few people are offended by the message we have preached today because it doesn't offend anybody. Happy, happy. Wealthy, wealthy. Smiley, smiley. Goody, goody. Come on, it's the best bunch of fun in town. And they're not offended. You know why? Because holiness and repentance... I challenge you to go to the television. I challenge you to go to churches and write down how many times you hear the word holiness and repentance. I'm telling you that does not fill a building. But by the same token, by the same token, we have one gospel to preach. And if we preach anything but the cross, it's foolishness to the world, but it's a way of salvation to those that follow. All of us today, are exposed to sermonettes for Christianettes. And you go to some place and they say, you need to be saved. You know, the Philippian jailer said to Paul when he stayed in the jail after the bars came down, what must I do to be saved? You ask somebody today, you need to be saved. From what? I'm not doing anything that everybody else. I mean, all your church members are doing the same thing. I mean, that's what your research will show. They're doing the same thing. What do you need to be saved for? Well, you first of all got to know you're lost. And you got to know that God's ways are higher than man's ways. And when you know that, then God comes in, takes your life, and puts you where God wants you to be. As I was watching Kyle a while ago, as I was watching Wade a while ago, when I think of Emery, Chuck Snyder, Roy Gale sitting back over here, every one of these guys were somewhere in the world doing what God had them for to do at that time, but God called them out and said, I want you to come serve me. I want you to get rid of the restaurant, get rid of the printing business. Leave your father-in-law's business as the vice president. And come on and follow me. I got plans for you. And my ways are higher than your ways. But I want you to sing about Jesus. Talk about God's grace. It's the songs this morning. Talk about the lostness of man and the desire of Jesus to receive whosoever will to come. And in the early service today, we baptized a precious lady, and I had just a small part of witnessing to her along her journey. Oh, I wish, and one day, 
I believe you will see the story of what God has done in this precious lady's life that she is a brand new person in Christ, smiling, rejoicing, and her whole world left her. And she is finding a new world right here among you. What a joy happens when you come to God and you come in Christ instead of getting near God and then walking away. The question is this, does the world need forgiveness and deliverance from sin or do they need some more how to be happies and how to be successful stuff you can't be happy without Jesus and you cannot be successful without the Lord you've got to be born again simple done one step repent and receive we open up the connection center in a few minutes People on their way say, I just want to go away. No, not today, not today, not today. Uh, we got lunch, we got lunch. You know, it's getting that time. You know, the line's getting long at the cafeteria. You go at a more convenient time. They, if they do that to you and me, they say, I'm sorry. Y'all go, I'll pick you up later. I'll join you at supper, you know. You have other people that say, I'm going to get out of this relationship. I'm sorry. Yeah, I love you. I love you so much. I'm not going to live with you and us both spend eternity separated from God because neither one of us would repent and turn to God. And I'll tell you one thing, if you give up anything to follow Jesus, he will bring it back to you if it's worth having back. Like when Moses threw down his rod, it turned to a snake. And then he picked it up and God turned it into a rod. And when he stood at the, at the, at the uh, sea and he held it up, the, it parted. When he struck the rock, water came out of it. God will take what you have and turn it into what he wants it to be. And if he doesn't change that person, he will bring something better into your life than you ever thought would happen in your life. That's what it means to follow Christ. You don't give up anything. Peter thought that. He said, oh, I've taken everything to follow you, Peter. He said, shut your mouth, man. He said, go over there in Mark 10. He says, nobody has left the world for my sake. And for the gospel's sake, that I will not return to them a hundredfold in this life as well as in the life to come. Well, I'd have to leave all my friends. No, you wouldn't. If they're your friends, they'll follow you. And if they're not your friends, God will replace it a hundred to one. And when you hurt, they'll hurt. And when you rejoice, they'll rejoice. And when you need to go to Ethiopia, they'll send you to Ethiopia. And that's what you're experiencing right now. 2 Timothy 4, 2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Very clear. Well, I've got to close, but listen to me in these final moments. I want to speak to you the truth. In Galatians 4, 16, Paul said, I become your enemy because I tell you the truth. I hope I don't, but I'm going to tell you some truth. The gospel is good news. But to an enslaved unbeliever, it's offensive. I know that. When you're enslaved, it's very offensive. Jesus ran into that, and everybody that ever preached the gospel does. But the good news is, Jesus saves. The cross saves. God forgives. It's not your good works. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. A call to repentance and a call to holiness is a turnoff. I understand that. But it's a temporary turnoff. Because when you're born again, your whole life changes direction. Your whole vision becomes worldwide. 
Get the word to the world. People tend that live in darkness to run from the light. That's the reason all the bars are dark. There's no any light in there. You open up a bar in town and put bright lights in and see how many people walk in the door. They're not coming in there. You know, they write country western songs, you know, about that. The darker the lights, the better looking the girls are, you know. <laughs> and then you wake up the next day in the light and you say, good night. Where did this come from, you know? <laughs> Have you ever slept in a dark, dark room and you're, somebody come in and open the door to you and turn on the light and you just squall and have a hissy fit, don't you? Cut off the light! Man, it hurt my eyes. That's what happens when, when you hear Wade preach the gospel or when I preach the gospel. Turn that light off, man. I live in darkness. And I can't wait to get out of this place and get back in my dark room and snuggle up with the sweet old devil because he's so good to me. He's destroying my health. He's destroying my marriage. He's destroying everything about me. I just can't wait to get back. Open your eyes. God can give spiritual sight to the blind just like he can give physical sight to the blind. A narrow door is offensive to a broad mind. And open-minded people find it very difficult to bow down to a sovereign God. It's tough. They just want to see the whole picture. And Jesus says, I want you to just narrow in on me. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to come suffer with me as I preach the gospel. What would you have said? Timothy said, okay, what would you say? Forsake all and follow me. What would you say? In the text today, most walk away. The rich young ruler walked away. Jesus just stood there. He did not make another plan. It is the Holy Spirit that prepares the heart. And both kinds are here today. Those ready to receive, those that are not. Both kinds are here. There are some of you this morning... You're one step away from a brand new life, a brand new beginning. Old things will pass away, and all things will become you. You're one step away. You're that close. But that's not close enough. And that Holy Spirit is telling you today that you've heard truth because the Bible is true. And you're going to have an opportunity right now to make that step that'll change your life forever. You've got a step now to break the bondage of sin. And for a power to come in you where, first of all, you'll be able to know right from wrong, you will see it for what it is, and you'll have the strength to break anything that binds you so that you can go and follow the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to encourage you that even while I'm closing this service right now, to just bow your head. If you feel that, now don't try to make up some, don't try to get God here by you just start talking, saying some little prayer. But if you feel convicted today, you feel God is saying, you came here today because I wanted you here because I got a plan for your life and you're about to miss it. And you're going to wander away for years and you may never come back. And so I want you to understand that the Spirit does not always strive with the man, the Scripture says. But for some of you, it is. Last Sunday, a man cried through this entire service. And he still said no to the Lord. But don't give up on him. Because I happen to see him, and I know who he is. And God has pressed him on my heart 
to please don't let him come that close and walk away. I can look out in this audience every Sunday after 46 years and I can show you person after person after person that used to walk in darkness and now they walk in the light. And they're some of the brightest lights for God in this church. They go on a mission trip, they serve, they give, they do anything. They're back there in that connection center right now waiting for you to come and give your heart to Jesus Christ. Meet a Mark Evans back there. Tell, tell Mark, good-looking guy back there, just ask old Mark. Could you just tell me your t- testimony in about two minutes? You'll see what I'm talking about. Then there's a second group here, and you're not ready yet. That's all right. God loves you just as much as those that are ready. I'm just telling you those that are ready, don't let this day pass. This is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. But for those of you not ready, don't quit. Don't quit coming. You come on back. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. He will break you. He will humble you. He will open up the truth to you. The light will shine. And you'll understand. Boy, God loves me unconditionally. What a guy. What a guy. I've never had anybody love me like that. Because I know what I've done. And I know he knows what I thought about doing that I didn't do. And he still loves me. And I'm going to pray for you that the Holy Spirit will center on you. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro looking for people. And when the Spirit speaks, don't you turn away. On the cross, one said yes, one said no. One spent eternity in hell, the other went to be with the Lord. Today, he said, you shall be with me in paradise. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and I want you to stand. Would you do that? Would you stand? As we open the doors to the Connection Center, it's that room right behind that big balcony. On this floor, you go out in the foyer, just turn to the left or right. It's very brief. You won't be there long. There'll be men there, women there. Some that speak Spanish. There'll be folks from all kinds of backgrounds. Some have been Christians for 30, 40 years. Some had not been Christian more than two or three years. But they just would love to just tell you in a very simple way, this is what you need to do. It has nothing to do with joining up. It has nothing to do with getting religion. It has to do with getting a brand new life and receiving your gift of eternal life. If you're here today and you are a believer and you don't have a church home, You need a place where you can gain your strength and feed on the bread of life and fellowship with Christians and have opportunities to serve both here and around the world. If you're looking for a church home, go to this Connection Center and just tell the folks, I'm a baptized believer, but I need a church home. And I'm a member of a church where I do not or I cannot attend. Just talk to them. They'll tell you what to do. If you've never had believer's baptism, but you've asked Christ into your life and you've never had that blessing, tell them that. And they'll schedule your baptism either here or out at the cross in just a few days. So I beg you to come. As Eric leads us in this song, it'll be just a brief song. But as people move to the Connection Center, would you just pray that God's will will be done in every life. But for those of you that don't know the Lord, say, God, speak. I'm listening. Give me the courage to make that first step out to that, that room. And if you make the first step, God will be there on every other step. And you'll never regret it as long as you live. Father, I pray now that you'll bless this simple invitation. Lord, I know how much you love these precious people. I thank you for the love they have shown in so many ways. From the mission trips to the 77089, to bringing their friends to the services today, for participating in them. But, oh God, don't let the devil win one single life today that you've sent your Holy Spirit to speak to. And may they say yes, in Jesus' name, amen. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 8, 
9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.